What does keeping in step with the Spirit look like? Clearly, this is not some ethereal or mystical experience, but an essential part of the nitty-gritty, roll-your-sleeves-up-get-your-hands-dirty, messy consequences of living as a Christ follower in a sin-saturated world. But how does this work itself out in everyday life? As we continue in our studies in the book of Galatians, Paul moves on to give us a practical example of how we might show that we're keeping in step with the Spirit here at the start of chapter 6, when he writes in verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that is, in step with the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. As we consider this verse and its implications, which are unfolded in the passage that follows, I want to introduce you to three characters, the sinner, the saint, and the circumspect. And before you think it to yourself, yes, I do realise they don't all begin with the letter S. But let's pause to pray before we begin to wrestle with this text. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be our helper. You would be our guide. As we study this, your word, that you would help us to hear your voice, that we would know your strength as we seek to live in obedience to your commands. Bless this text as it speaks to us and challenges us about living as your people in this world today to your glory. Amen. As we uh, look at this first character, the sinner. We, we understand that Paul is writing hypothetically of someone caught in an act of sin. I don't think that he has in mind that image of the, the woman who is caught in the act of adultery, who's dragged by her accusers and thrown on the ground before Jesus, as we read in John chapter 8, verse 3. Rather, this is the idea that someone who's a fellow believer has walked into Satan's snare, committing sin, and you are Johnny on the spot. This failure, this fall has become known to you. So what are you going to do about it? There are a number of options. You could overlook it. You could look the other way. After all, who are you to judge? Doesn't it say whoever is without sin cast the first stone and all that sort of thing? It might even seem to you the spiritual thing to do, to overlook it, to, to mutter something about knowing of the assurance of God's forgiveness and, and promising to, to, to pray for the individual as you walk away and leave them. And there is an anti-gospel element here. It may be for you that fear of being disliked will keep you from speaking out because that you believe your worth is determined by what others think of you. Therefore, you choose not to speak the truth to this brother or sister trapped in sin. Option one, you might overlook or you could overreact. You might think to yourself, surely I can't be soft peddling sin. If in any way I'm viewed as condoning sin, it might make others vulnerable. They might fall into a similar trap. So I will make the sin public. I will pile on the shame. I will ostracize this person in order that the stain of their sin will not mar the purity of the church. The Christian church has a tragic history of shooting its wounded. It may be that you're 
You know of those who have been harmed in such a manner or that even you yourself possess the scars of such a mauling. Stumbling into sin, some have found themselves being kicked when they are down by their fellow believers. Again, there is an anti-gospel element here. That if I find my worth in seeing myself as better than others, when I condemn your sin, I feel good about myself. Therefore, I choose not to speak in love. Hopefully, you will realise that neither of these extreme responses is the appropriate action to take when you find a brother or sister caught in sin. We're not to overlook sin nor are we to overreact to sin, but we are to assist in helping one another overcome sin. We're not to fail to speak the truth, and we're not to fail to speak in love, but representing the one who came full of grace and truth, we speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15. So you don't overreact, you don't overlook, you come alongside your brother and sister and help them to overcome. Paul writes, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. If you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, this necessitates you being involved in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not all of them all the time, but always some of them all the time. This is why being part of a smaller group, a, a fellowship group or a prayer group is so vital for it is in that context that these opportunities to care for one another best arise. You stand with your brother or sister in the good times and in the bad, as, as Paul writes in Romans 12, 15. You are to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Or here in our text for today, the, Paul writes in verse 2, Bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of Christ. When Paul writes of restoring here, he, the word in verse 1 for restore is a medical term for the resetting of a bone. Some of you wince when you think about that. That image, when it comes to mind, brings back previous experiences of pain. And you understand that in this process of restoration, this is going to hurt, but it will be a, a healing hurt. That's the only way the damage can be undone. And when a sister or brother caught in sin is being restored, the one who walks beside them has to be prepared to share a heavy load. As Martin Luther put it, the difficult work of burden bearing requires that Christians have broad shoulders and husky bones. Let's think a little bit more of the second character, the saint. Again, here in verse 1, we are to understand that Paul is primarily addressing his comments to you who are spiritual. That is every true believer. You might think that his greatest concern ought to be for the conduct of this brother or sister caught in sin, but no. He's writing these verses to those who shoulder the responsibility to see sinners restored, to see sin overcome in the lives of others. The one who is walking in step with the Spirit is one who must be tender-hearted, someone who is sympathetic to another caught in sin. 
Why is that? Because if the spirit of the utterly and immensely holy God is indwelling your heart, you're not apt to be uppity about your own self-righteousness. You're keenly aware that you live in a glass house and you're not about to, to throw stones. Ultimately, it is because the Holy Spirit proclaims the gospel to you internally. While we've noted the anti-gospel elements in thinking that can creep in, that either I, I get my worth in being loved by you, therefore I can't challenge your behavior, or I get my worth in looking down on you, therefore I'm eager to condemn your behavior. That's anti-gospel. However, when the gospel is proclaimed to your own heart by the indwelling spirit, it creates the humility that is appropriate for one who is a sinner saved by grace. And it provides the courage to speak words that may be unwelcomed by the recipient, the one who may ask you, who do you think you are to confront my sin? And you can answer that question and you can say, I am a child of God. I am the beneficiary of his costly love. You see, it must be that I find my worth in knowing that I am so sinful that the Son of God had to die to pay for my sin. And that I'm so loved by my Father in heaven that he willingly sent his Son to do this for me. So living by the Spirit means that I do not become conceited, as Paul mentions in Galatians 5.26. How could someone be conceited in light of these great truths? We must never feel a sense of spiritual superiority over those who are stumbling in sin. The Pharisee's prayer of Luke 18 and verse 11, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men. That prayer should never cross our lips. Again, as Paul notes in verse 3, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So we need to see ourselves with gospel clarity so as we are not deceived. We are neither quick to criticise nor slow to forgive. The sinner, the saint and the circumspect. Now I understand that the saint and the circumspect are the same person. But the distinction is in the direction of their gaze. The saint is looking out for the sinner. The circumspect is looking out for the saint. And we must understand that there is always to be a careful balance between mutual accountability and personal responsibility. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, we cannot carry another person's burden from a distance. To help lift the sinner out of the mire, you and I have to get a little dirty. And this is where the danger lies. We have desperately wicked hearts. And when we stoop down to help someone, we can all too easily become convinced that this sin from which we're trying to rescue our brother is really quite good. And we should try it for ourselves and pursue that pathway. Beach lifeguards may be excellent swimmers. They may be carefully trained in the art of rescue, but they can drown. There's such a thing, it's called Avir syndrome, aquatic victim instead of rescuer syndrome. And this occurs when the would-be rescuer is lost. 
And we must understand that there's always a risk, there's always a danger in trying to help. This is why we must keep watch. This is why we need to be circumspect. As Paul writes here in verse 4, saying, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. We need to look at our own lives and understand that every one of us sins and every one of us carries burdens. Alistair Begg comments, To go around pretending as if we have no burdens, far from being a sign of spirituality, is a sign of unreality. And so just as our frontline healthcare workers are constantly being tested to ensure that they haven't contracted COVID-19, so in the same way, we need to constantly test our own hearts to see that there's no infection of sin taking control there. The prayer of the psalmist in Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 ought to be ever on our lips. Where the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We are to be burden bearers eagerly helping our brothers and sisters in their struggles with sin and ever ensuring that we ourselves do not fall into its grip. And what are we doing as we pursue this practice? We are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. We are modeling Christ-likeness. When Jesus saw that we were, as John Newton phrased it, by down beneath a load of sin, by Satan sorely pressed, by war without and fears within. He invited us to come to him that we might find rest. But of course, not before he came to us, not before he came into this world here to shoulder the ultimate burden of the cross. For Jesus is the greatest burden bearer. The prophet Isaiah records in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is the great burden bearer because the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This month's book for study is Gentle and Lonely, Lonely by Dean Ortland. And there Ortland writes, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Why does our burden qualify us to come to Jesus? It does because he is the great burden bearer. He is the greatest, gentlest restorer. He's the one of whom, again, Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 42 verse 3, that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench. We come to Jesus knowing that we'll be received and in him 
restored. As you read the Gospels, you'll discover that the Pharisees were always hovering about, waiting to pounce. They were looking for the opportunity, trying to see if Jesus would ever do anything that was wrong. They were vigilant, yet unsuccessful in their attempts to entrap him in sin. And within the fellowship of the church, you and I are our brother or our sister's keeper. And with gentleness, compassion and love, we ought to be ever vigilant to keep one another and ourselves from falling into sin. And as I bring my thoughts to a close, I want you to ask yourself that if someone was caught in sin, would they choose you as the person to whom they would look for help? Would they hear from your lips the truth expressed in love? Would they see in you someone who is willing to take a risk to help with their rescue? As we keep in step with the Spirit, may we become burden bearers who bring Christ's blessing to one another.